Blog Talk Radio. Party people, party people, say yo get focused. So sign and focus, say yo get focused. Don't do you make the yo get focused. Yeah, just hit me.
and also on um, Blog Talk Radio. So with that, Spence, why don't you um, talk a little bit about how you know Tom and how you two met about the New Music Seminar, and then maybe Tom can talk a little bit about how he founded Tommy Boy and all the amazing things that he's chairman and chief executives of. So let's go. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I, uh, I tuned in. I was In the 80s, I was really heavy into doing my album cover work with famous artists, and mm-hmm. I found this label right near me called Tommy Boy Records. So I went over there mm-hmm. one time, and uh, that's what got me in the intro to understand about the record label. But what I what I was really interested in is in the man Tom Silverman that he was very visionary. You know that, that's a word I use for people who are like I, I call them out of the box. Mm-hmm. The way you approach music uh, and also evolve this incredible record label, which I, I think Tommy Boy started before New Music Seminar. Am I right, Tom? Yeah. Uh, no, it's actually uh, no? started the year after. But I, I oh, okay. had started oh, wow. a newsletter. Before that, I was doing a newsletter for DJs called Dance Music Report a few years oh, before. Really? Oh, wow. So, I mean, I that? got involved with New Music Seminar, ironically, yeah. in the beginning, beginning where um, I actually had a panel of CD packagers uh, on, on mm-hmm. the early, mm-hmm. it was the early years, and then... Um, so I got involved with it. I, I, you know, and I would tell you, Holly knows, uh, Tom, I, I would talk about your seminar every time that I was in New York. I oh, was absolutely. A lot of years. It was very important. And what I saw in it, what, this is one thing, uh, there's so many things, but, uh, the thing that you had, which was really amazing are these panels and on these panels were people that were really quality music people and underlying quality music people from the different ends of music and it was really a good springboard for i think every musician to come and attend uh you know just oh i can imagine that yeah Yeah, and um, all the information like the thing that's why you would want to go to it and then he had like i I remember the the recent one where seymour stein talked and uh he had pandora on he had sirius that's amazing I, i mean down the line holly it was like a showcase you know so you'd want to go here and it had is the only one doing this. Tom was the only one doing this, and I thought it was so important for the music industry. Anyway, that's my tie-in to. Uh, uh, to yeah, uh, no, and this, and you know, Tom, you are like almost like a, uh, um, you know, the beginning of a lot of different things. So what I want to ask you is, how did you get? How did how did this all launch? How did how did yeah. how did you start getting interested in music and stuff like that? I mean, this was very interesting because you took it not just as a musician. You took it as a way of educating people, and also you have a, obviously a pure appreciation of the arts with all the different um, associations that you are, um, you know, accredited with. So I'd like to know how it all started out and how you, you know, how it kind of came about. Well, in college, I was the music director of the college radio station. I don't know how I fell into that, but for three years I did that, and then. I went off to graduate school and got a letter from my roommate who used to run the radio station with me in college Mm -hmm. saying that uh, we should move to New York and start a newsletter for DJs because disco is going to be the next big thing. And he called me on the right day. It was one of those those risky business moments, and I just said, okay. And Mm -hmm. I moved moved to New York and set up a 
a company called Dance Music Report, and we started doing a bi-weekly newsletter for DJs because the DJ culture, this was in the late 70s, DJ culture was just emerging. This has been <clears throat> the year after Saturday Night Fever, and just before oh, yeah. um, ra- radio ex- uh, radio changed its formats to disco around uh, the country. And um, there was no tip sheet or way that DJs could know what was going on way before the Internet or even fax mm-hmm. machines. And so in those days, DJs needed to know what the speed of records were so they could mix them. They needed to know what the new records were, imports coming in from Europe. And so we covered all of that stuff and became the pre- predominant publication for disco DJs in the world. Wow, almost like a, a, a beginning before Billboard even started really doing anything. This is that's pretty amazing. Actually, we did our first new music seminar. Billboard would do a thing called the Disco Forum, and uh, uh-huh. that was a big music conference for for disco music, and and we would go wow. to that. And then we decided to start uh, the new music seminar um, to compete with that, um, that. because we. <laughs> Yeah, we we really thought that there was a new kind of music, DJ-centric music. There was a new kind of urban music. There was street music, and there was this dance-oriented rock, you know, this post-punk kind of early um, music and new wave that was just getting ready to start. So we started a, a conference in 1980 called the New Music Seminar where we would talk about this. It was a one-day thing in a, like, um, in a club and actually, it was an SIR rehearsal studio. It's the first one in 1980, and then we just did it every year, and it grew, doubled, just about doubled every year for like eight years in a row. And eventually, we had 8,000 people coming from 35 countries. I'll t- you know, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. I want to come in here on this. Is about vinyl records. Vinyl is very big right now, and Tommy Boy really initiated this uh, idea of vinyl really big with the DJs. I mean, this was the label that they mm-hmm. were playing. The I can see that. I can see that. And right, yeah. and it still goes on. The thing is, the legacy goes on with what he, in some ways, was big part of, and so it evolves today because of the DJs, and Tommy Boy was a big factor in that, you know, with vinyl records. 12-inch oh, 12 12 singles, yeah. they were. Like, yeah. you know, people would yeah. pay 4 to $5 just to buy a single, but we we did we did actually uh, come up with many innovations. We were the ones who started uh, de- putting DJ tools like instrumental and acapella versions on 12 inches, wow. and what we called bonus beats, extra things for DJs to use to mix with, and that became really popular. We also put the beats per minute on the label, little things like that that DJs really appreciated because we understood who our audience was. Wow. Uh-huh. You know, and now I look at DJs; there must be 10 million of them. Oh yeah, no, no, no. He worked. He worked with some of the uh, some of the beginnings of the pioneers of like this. And you know, I've also heard from other people that Tommy Boy Records was the label to go to when it when the artist was starting out. Like, you know, in New York, I've I've heard from a couple of people that when I said we have Tom Silverman on today, you're kidding, Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy record label, we had the hardest time getting in touch with them. They were so underground in the beginning, but then it was just like that was the label to be with. And I had heard that from a lot of people that, you know, worked with The Clash and all the people like Sly and Robbie and, you know, all those people, they were all like, oh, we all want to be with Tommy Boy Records. We all, that's like the label everybody wanted to be with back then, you know? So, yeah, wow. we tried to be innovative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If everybody else were doing it, we wouldn't. We would try to do something new. Oh yeah. 
So tell me about the new music seminar um, a little bit about how, how, when did that get founded? What year was that? And then I think you said, I didn't, I don't think you gave the year, but um, like how did yeah, it start 1980. out and then now how did it graduate? Yeah. 1980. Okay. In the yes. 80s? And started okay. as a one day thing. And then I think okay. it moved to a two day thing in 81 in a little nightclub. And then we moved into a hotel in 1982 wow. and it kept growing and growing and growing. Uh, and people started coming from around the world, and we started introducing hip-hop when hip-hop was just starting, and yep. introducing hip-hop to uh, house music was just starting. You know, all kinds of new genres were happening. The 80s was a very exciting time for new genres, and music um, really were exploding. Disco had sort of changed and molted and turned into uh, Larry Levan at the Paradise Garage would play a certain kind of sort of urban dance music and the guys from Chicago would come to the new music seminar and they'd go to the go down and hear Larry play and then they'd go back and reinvent it in Chicago or in Detroit as electro or or as house music and wow. um, then they'd come back and play that and the British guys would come and hear Chicago house and take it back to England so it was like a cross pollination place where different genres of music uh, would merge and, and new kinds of music and opportunities came out of it. It was a super exciting time. Yeah, and, oh, and yeah. You know, I got, uh, Judith and I were involved because we had our 545 books sold there, and it was really nice to, you had like a merch table with uh, music books also integrated. And then later, nice. you had, of course, you had a, like a, a program where you had the lectures in a the day, then you had music at night also at different clubs, you know, as an integration of this. Oh, so cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was really cool. So I mean, I want to come to the next one. I want to come to the next one. That would be fun. Well, you know, the other thing, Holly, you should know is that the thing that's really we didn't mention, which is so important, is that you could come to this thing, and besides there's people talking on the panels that were very mm-hmm. incredible people in different areas, you could you could talk to them. In other words, this was a place where if you got on the phone, maybe you won't reach these people at all. But at New Music Seminar... You, they were sitting at a table after oh, they did their thing, and you could go up and talk to them and trade cards. No, and they talk to this yeah. was, this, the, That go. was really important, right, Tom? I mean, that was a big thing. We called it schmoozing. Yeah. We even used to have yeah. merch. Nice. We have to, uh, had hats that said schmoozer or be a schmoozer, not a loser. And we had the, <laughs> we had a, a bar at the Marriott Marquis, which is the hotel we did most of the seminars at, that rotated. It went around, and we called it the schmoozatorium. <laughs> because it was really about meeting people, yeah. making deals. We even we even did cocktail napkins that had a, a, on the back we had printed a little uh, one page contract so people could get signed at the on the back of a co- cocktail uh-huh. napkin. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, I love that. That is so. It is out of the box. Totally out of the box. That is great. And then, and, and Holly, you also had one year, you had Gibson guitar there, right, Tom? You had Gibson guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Gibson guitar, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, this Gibson. Uh-huh. Wow, you know? Yeah, Gibson sponsors things and gave away their newest guitars, and, and we'd have people talking about new technology and music making and how high-resolution high audio is coming and what to do to prepare for it. And we oh, talked nice. about streaming before there was streaming, and really... There was a period the seminar ended in 1994, and I restarted it in 2009 because yeah. on the on the RAAA board it was clear that uh, people were not facing the reality that the record business, the old record business, was never coming back, 
and I wanted to create a forum where we could talk about what was going to replace the record business because there was no place people were discussing what would come next. And so we introduced Daniel Eck, who's the founder of Spotify, a year before they launched Spotify in America. You know, we introduced so many of the new technologies first there. And then we tried to teach people about the new music business, which is an attention economy rather than just selling records. And uh, introduced people to the concept of average revenue per user and monthly average users. The way Google and Facebook um, value their businesses is the way we need to look at our business in the music industry if we're going to be players in the new world. And finally, everybody's getting that that's really the business. Yeah. You know what's interesting? What my a difference from today. I, 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 yeah. My friend John Luongo put on Facebook that uh, now Facebook's going to get involved with music thing, uh, Tom, you know? Yeah, Yeah. music and video first. Uh, they're getting ready to make, make deals before the end of this year. We've been talking to them for about a year at Merlin. Oh, nice. Um, and I think they're ready to close deals in the next two or three months, so you'll be hearing about that. But I, I don't know if it's going to be just pure music It's because mu- people are already posting music videos kind of um, that like are unauthorized. Yeah. Yeah, live music, and they're not really supposed to put music up there. And it turns out oh. they're already showing more, more video content than YouTube supposedly in, um, oh. in oh, Facebook. Wow. So a lot of things are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well you where, know, do, you, I where know. do you see vinyl going, Tom? Yeah, where, that's what where I want to know. Yeah. So vinyl is uh, this year. Vinyl's been up 35% a year for two or three years in a row. This year, Hi. year to date, the first half of the year, it, it's been flat. And um, it's strange that it's flat. We think that those numbers aren't accurate because the the labels we talk to are all up in their vinyl business. Um, the RAAA numbers come mainly from the major labels, not the indie labels. So um, that they may be flat. Also, it's harder to get capacity there aren't that there aren't very many vinyl presses left in the world, so it's like a three to five month wait to get vinyl. So um, you know, vinyl. I think vinyl can still grow quite a bit more, and I think people yeah. really like it. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned from uh, the the surge in vinyl after so many years. Yeah. No, that's interesting. People want to people yeah, want to get yeah. something they can own. They want something they can gift. They want something that's collectible. They want something that stands for something that's physical that they can touch and feel, you know, with great mm-hmm. cover art, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> we're still doing that, you know, yeah. you know what I want to know, Tom, from you is a couple things. One is um, how, how do you see us progressing forward in the music industry, period, because I know a lot of things, like you said, are changing rapidly. And then also what I want to ask you about is um, what you're currently working on, if you want to share anything like that and some of the other associations you're involved in. Very, very different questions, so I'll, I'll answer the first one first. So um, the, the music business now is about, you know, uh, sort of a, a $16 billion business at wholesale worldwide, maybe $15 wow. billion. And it used to be much bigger than that. It used to in 1999 it was probably 27 billion. So it's actually gotten smaller uh against inflation. And so what's happening now is we're seeing the business growing. It's about a 6% increase this year to date over last year. It's the second year of 
increases that have been the biggest increases since the late 90s. So um, we're projecting, because of streaming and the high ARPU, the high average revenue per user of streaming, that music industry revenues will climb up to 40 or 50 million, a billion dollars a year by wow. 2025 probably, and possibly go well beyond that um, if the weather stays clear. But things look are looking good for it. We need to have a, a, a billion music subscribers, and right now we have about 60 million or 70 million, but it's really early days. In tenor, you know, you, you think about cable uh, television, and it took 40 years for cable TV to get to 100 million TV households. Um, we could easily get to 100 million music subscribers in America within the next 10 years. Uh, it probably will happen. We're about uh, a third of the way there already, I think. That's great. So, um, wow. yeah. So, and that really changes the game because uh, the amount of revenue that the industry makes from from subscription is greater than what they made from selling records, actually. Wow. Oh wow, that's crazy. That's a great figure. Yeah. So I we're optimistic. I love people are starting to invest. Bankers are coming in. People are seeing the business turn around. Everybody's trying to get in. There's a lot of new investments. People are trying to buy up catalogs. Yeah. So it's a pretty exciting time for the music business again. We're it's, we're moving into growth because we've been in a 15-year scarcity drought. Now we're turning around, which is great because, you know, 15 years ago, there was about 10 times as many artists that got signed as there is now. So uh, it's very hard to sign artists because it's too risky and pe- artists get dropped before they could even have a chance to break because people have to cut risk and expense when the market is so tight. Once that market opens up a little, I think many, many more artists will get signed, which will be great because there'll be more investment in new talent, which we all need desperately. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah uh, do you, I agree. Where on do that you see one. the single, uh, the single record, Tom? You know, the single. Well, this, I mean, the the whole music business has turned into a singles business now because streaming is singles, playlists is singles. You make your own playlist or you listen to a playlist. Radio is singles, you know, traditional radio. Online Pandora is, is singles, and Sirius XM is singles. You're listening to one song. The only thing that's albums is buying albums on iTunes, and we know that album sales are declining, you know, 10 to 20% a year every year. Um, and there are people who listen to full albums on streaming services, but it's not the majority of listening. Most listening is individual songs or songs that are taken from albums and used in new playlists. So um, the the meaning of albums is going to radically shift over the next 10 years. We've talked about this for four or five years at the New Music Seminar, the decline of the album as a form based on what's happening. It'll be led in pop and urban and country formats. Uh, Rock will be the last place to go because rock still is a very uh, album-oriented format. What about classical? What do you think about classical? Good question. Think that's I mean, it's, yeah, it's well, classical is almost, you know, it's like 1% of the music business or less. It's a very small part of the music business. So, um, oh, really? That, and all of all of that is albums because you have, uh, you know, you have, you know, movements and things that, are better suited to albums. They never were, it was never a singles business. But people that write songs today are writing songs that are two and a half to four minutes long. And so that, that's kind of the uh, molecule of the me- record business. Albums are like compounds. 
you know, and I think we're moving down to the molecular level in the in the in the music business because of streaming and even downloads. When when iTunes was at its peak, they were selling 11 track downloads for every one album that they sold. So that means that more people were interested in acquiring and making a purchase decision for a song than for an album, ten times as many, which is uh, interesting. Because you couldn't buy singles anymore. People stopped selling physical singles a long time before, like 1996 or 97, they stopped selling singles, and then you, you were forced to buy an album, even if there's only one song on that album you wanted. Now you can buy the single. Obviously, iTunes decoupled the single from the album, and it drove single sales through the roof. So you could see the will of the people was they really wanted singles, and now they can get them. And now they don't even need to buy them. They can just create their own custom you know, playlists themselves with any of the new services. Oh, yeah. It- Yes, you know what was yes, interesting? I got to tell you an interesting story. So it's a very, actually, it's a very amusing story, but uh, well done. It was at one of your panels on YouTube. It was about YouTube, and they told a story about a girl. And you know, they had this program on about the stars. You know, the singing stars. What is that? A competitor program, and she got bounced from the show. The voice. Yeah, you know, the she boy? got like bounced from this big show. It was a big show, right? So American she Idol she put, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, she put her thing on YouTube, right? And she sold like a close to a million records. I don't know, some bizarre, unbelievable figure. You know, I thought, wow, the power of that, you know, in today's world. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think she said she sold a million. She got a million views for her video. Yeah, exactly. On, uh, right. For the I'm video sorry. of her song. And yeah. a million views on YouTube is worth about $100. Or really? So it's not really like, it's not like selling a million records. Um, you know, it's like a, a tenth of a penny per 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 stream. But it does show that uh, just because the mainstream media doesn't uh, appreciate something or support something doesn't mean there isn't an audience for it. YouTube's been able to find that audience more than once. There was another great example of that. There was an artist called Mac Miller who was an artist out of uh, Pittsburgh on an indie label, a brand-new indie label called Rostrum Records. And they released this Mac Miller album, and it um, it only had 35 plays at all the radio stations combined in America wow. the week the album came out. But it had like 30 million cumulative views on YouTube, and the album sold like 120,000 and entered at number one on the Billboard uh-huh. album charts with no radio support. So wow. you know we're really anxious to see the old-fashioned formats of radio, you know, r- rock. Top 40, Latin, country, R&B start to disappear as people, you know, don't want to be, you know, put in a a box anymore and people want to be able to enjoy all kinds of music. We're seeing that happen in the streaming services. What is the biggest biggest section of the music that sells the biggest right now, like the top of the list? Is it rock? Is it alternative? Hip-hop. Hip-hop, okay. Hip hop and top forty. Fifteen percent of the music business, I think, somewhere between fifteen and sixteen percent is hip hop, and I think fourteen is top forty. Eleven is R and B. Rock is about nine or ten. Um, so it's interesting to see the urban-oriented uh, formats are doing really, really great. Wow, cool! Because they're infiltrating top forty and 
Yeah. You know, hip hop from Africa Bambata to now has become worldwide and integrated as part of every kind of music. There's mm-hmm. hip hop hard rock artists and there's you know and there's all kinds of people singing using hip hop even in country right now. Right, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very interesting, you know, and you mentioned something earlier about people selling catalogs of people's music. Um, I know I just recently went through that with an artist that is no longer here with us that I have a catalog of music with and going to, you know, a place and trying to see if there's any interest. It's funny, you know, like you said, you do see the music industry changing a lot, a lot, a lot, and hip-hop is pretty amazing. You know, there's a lot of really good hip-hop out there, and people just have to know more about it, and I don't think that that um, people are really educated enough on hip-hop. And so in this new music seminar, do you cover hip-hop a lot? Well, it's not. The new music seminar is never genre-specific because we think that, uh, you know, whether you're a rapper, a singer, or a comedian, the same, your music is made the same way, it spreads the same way. It's all about creation, exposure, and monetization. How do you make money? How do you get known and exposed? How do you go from unfamiliar to familiar? You know, what are the technologies that can help expedite that process? You know, in every area, live, on air, you know, online, every possible way that, you know, television, any way that you can expose yourself. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, it's actually harder now to break through as a new artist than it was in the 80s or even the early Uh 90s. Ironically enough, you'd think with all the access to the Internet, more new artists would be breaking through than ever before, but actually the opposite is true. And I'm surprised more people don't talk about that. Why isn't there an Elvis being, you know, breaking through every month because of YouTube and Facebook and, you know, Twitter and Uh Instagram and Snapchat and all of the social stuff that's out there and the ease of finding things online and being able to buy or listen to anything you want on Spotify and Deezer and and iTunes and, you know, all of Tidal and all of these different services – it should be easier to fi- to discover a- new artists, and it's easier for artists that are great to platform up, to rise naturally to the top, but it's not happening. There's, you know, there's you know what I found, Tom, talk, talking to musicians, is that since they're, they're really indie, as you well know, and they create their own thing, their own record, the production, the whole thing, they mm-hmm. have a problem. I think what I mean. I've been in the business for over thirty-five years, and and you saw the same thing I did. The record company made it easy for the artists. You know, they they would distribute it, promote it, if, as well as they whatever happened. Uh, today, the artist has to do everything themselves, and it's like what I say to people: it's hard because a lot of artists don't know how to do it. That's why I thought New Music Seminar was this, was a springboard to go and see and learn about it for every musician. This is the hardest thing that I find musicians are going through. They have to do it themselves. They don't know how to do it. And you know what I mean? You've got to have a head for that too, right? I mean, you really, it's like everybody should be repped by somebody. Or, or, or have an manager. <laughs> I was it's, just it's watching. Beyond management. It's beyond management, Holly. Yeah. It's PR. It's, yeah. it's different. Tom knows. It's different departments. But, you know, it's like uh, you know some. I know so many indie artists that are doing it all by themselves. And it's a hard trip. I mean, mm-hmm. I and that's supposed to do it. That's why but that's not really what's hold, I don't think that's what's holding them back. I think that if you're a great artist 
and somebody will discover you and they can share your music for you on their pages. And then if the music is great, it'll spread like wildfire naturally. And yep. great music should rise to the top. It shouldn't be limited. I was just watching a 1984 video on YouTube of the New Music Seminar. It was an interview with Madonna. Madonna spoke on the artist panel that year. And wow. James mm-hmm. Brown was on the artist panel. George Jesus. Clinton. Oh, nice. John Hope. Um, <laughs> So Nona Hendrix, uh, there was like ten people on the artist panel, and John Oates, and Madonna was talking about the importance of video, and you know, because in 1984, right. it was only three years into MTV, and she right. was a video star, an early video star, and John Oates was saying how he resented that in this day and age, 1984, you had to be videogenic. You had to be want to make great videos in order to sell your music when you signed up to be just a musician. You know, Hall & Oates were great musicians, and that should have been enough. And it was enough for their records, but they didn't translate into the video world, so it didn't work. Whereas Madonna, the camera loved her, so she was a dancer first. So, you know, she immediately exploded through video. And other artists who were just as good, if not better, in the studio and songwriting and in performance didn't have the same equal chance anymore. And now you're saying the same thing is true for social networking and, you know, being able to manage all of your socials online and having to do all this extra work. It was interesting to hear John Oates complaining about the same thing in 1984 with just with music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. You know, that's that's very interesting, you know, because going into the European market, I um, was working with a band out of Europe, and I know that they were not being heard here in the USA so much. So a lot of it was getting their music out there to the um, you know, American radio stations. And now today their albums are charting and their concerts are sold out all through Europe and the American now tours are all sold out. So it's crazy how just going out and getting, like you said, getting some things out there and getting things heard, you know, it makes it. But as I was saying, Spence, to you is I know that you work with independent artists, but I know on the management side and on the side of just helping people, get their stuff out there, it's really hard. And you know because you're working with a lot of different artists that are just starting out. So I think it's really important that they have this something like what Tom has, the New Music Seminar, where people can get information. And, and, you know, um, do you have a referral program at your New Music Seminar? Or how how does it work exactly? What's a typical day at the New Music Seminar? You go and... um, Hear, hear people talking about music. We have three different lines. We have exposure, monetization, and creative. So artists go to songwriter panels or producers' nice. panels and find out about that. Um, but they also can go and find out about YouTube or, you know, um, how to make videos effectively and efficiently, what works and what nice. doesn't work in social, you know, mm-hmm. um, where how they can make money and what are the new ways to make money, what are the distribution alternatives to get their music distributed. Um, so the discussion is very broad, um, but uh, but what happens in between is people meet each other. 
And in the meetings, that's where the real great stuff happens. And that's the reason why you can't just learn everything online. Everyone thinks you could Google something and get every answer you want. But you can't get a relationship through Google. You have to go meet somebody, Mm -hmm. shake their hand, look them in the eye, and then follow up with them and have physical meetings. You know, everyone seems to think today that, you know, if you just Facebook message somebody, it's the same thing. Or connect them on connect with them on LinkedIn or something else. It's not. People aren't you know, the the important people they're just too busy. They usually don't respond to that kind of thing. And you know, mm-hmm. but when you meet them they can't avoid you. And if there's something that connects, if there's magic and energy between you, you yep. find it there. I mean, some famous people were on the panels at the New Music Seminar and later got married to each other. People started <laughs> companies with people they met at the New Music Seminar that are still going today. You know, people got jobs that they ended up becoming wow. the chairman of a major record company, you know, at the New That's Music amazing. Seminar. So it's yeah. a great thing for, for people looking for jobs, for people trying to get back into the business on some level, for people, entrepreneurs trying to start up new companies. You know, those are the things that are great about it. Yeah, and the thing that I found also is I met people from all over the world. That's the other thing. Yep. If they come in from Australia, from Australia, I meet Holly or That's I great. Meet a group from Germany. I mean, they came in Germany's hot right now. Yeah, Germany's you know? really hot right now. So is Prague. Yeah, definitely. I, I hear you on that one. That's really amazing, Tom. Um you know, I was reading some of the other boards, and that was one of my other questions, and I'm sorry I threw all that at you once. Um, some of the other boards that you serve on with the Sound Exchange, the American Association of Independent Music, how did you get involved with all these? Is it just basically networking with your new music seminar, meeting people, and they just really no. felt like I- – Okay. I tried to. I, I helped start the uh, A2IM American Association for Independent Music because nice. independents were uh, hundreds and hundreds of labels that were all disparate. They didn't talk to each other. They weren't organized, and as a result, they they got second-class citizen treatment. And we thought that mm-hmm. if we created an organization with that brought some unity to the independent group, they could get better treatment. And and the second we started it was right when, um, in 2004, when iTunes was signing on, and they wanted to pay us a nickel less than what they paid the majors, us the independents. And once we started A2IM, they immediately said, no, we're going to pay the indies the same as the majors, because they knew there was an organization that represented them. And the same thing tried to happen with YouTube and many of Google and some of the other um, big companies now. Uh, we, We created another company in in. Europe called Merlin that represents independent labels from around the world yeah, for commercial dealings. Merlin. Yeah, so yeah. Merlin, I helped start that as well, and that and wow. that does the commercial deals. So they yeah. negotiate okay. deals. So they they are actually equity owners in Spotify, and they're uh, yeah. and they're and they're um, you know they distribute uh, independent music and made deals for Spotify. They made deals with Pandora, with Google, with YouTube, and they've really helped independents get a deal they wouldn't have been get, able to get on their own. So That's it's great. really it's leveled great. the playing field for independence. And it's been one of the great triumphs of my, my career is to be able to help. And the timing couldn't have been any better, helping independent labels right when the business was moving from analog to digital. Right. And they could have gotten crushed during this time. That's this right. is when they needed their, their power um, at at their peak. And right now, Merlin is greater and better than ever, and A2IM is is 
in its what eleventh or twelfth years doing oh, a fantastic yeah. job. I mean, the, wow. you know, it's funny. I remember in the old days, it used to be, as we well know, you had your big record companies, and if you came in as an indie, it was like, forget about it. You know what I mean? There was a small. Then all of a sudden, it came back again a little bit, but then went back, and now it's huge. Tom, indie is the thing. I mean, that's what it's all about. And, yeah, and it's true. In the streaming services, indies over-indexed 40 45% of all the streams are from the independents, and only 55 are from the majors. Whereas in, in, in physical and digital sales, I think it's 36% of all the sales are independent um, versus the majors. So, you know, it's it's really – the indies have really grown their market share over the last 10 or 11 years, and I don't think that's going to change. I believe the Indies are going to continue to grow their market share mm-hmm. um, well well in excess of 40% over the next 5 or 10 years. That's that's amazing. That's just amazing. You know, I, I, I see music going in a really positive direction um, myself just because they're, you know, like – you said, why aren't there El- new Elvises being found every week or every other week? Why do you think that is? I mean, is it because people just can't get out there and and get it done as much as like we discussed, or what can someone do? No, it's because more people are making music. It's much easier to make music now. You know, the music making tools are readily available to everybody. Every Mac comes with GarageBand. Mm-hmm. So, which yeah. is a, basically a whole studio, yeah. and everyone's a DJ now too. So right. they're all making mm-hmm. beats. So there's and there's all kinds of accessible and expensive electronic equipment that's <laughs> software based that allows you to make music really quickly and easily. So there's probably ten times more music being made today than there was in 1999. Wow. So that's as a result. True. The competition is so great. There's so much, such a giant glut it's so at the bottom end yeah. and the long tail. It's very hard to rise above the din. There's just so much. The mm-hmm. noise floor is so high that you know people are numb. It's very hard to break through. I mean, I went, Tom. I went to the CMJ thing. You know, it's every year. You know about the CMJ thing. And yeah. It, and they gave me this book, and this is what what blew my mind. It's like you open up the book, and you got like three days to see music, right? Something like that, three or four days. And it's so many people. I mean, you're never going to see 99% of these people. And then you get the whole picture in your mind. You say, Oh my God, you know, this is where music's at right now. It's like what you're talking about. There's so much of it. I I can't remember. I remember I got out of the music business for about a year. I think I was out for about a year. When I came back. It was mind-boggling. It was like mm-hmm. I had to catch up. I felt like I better catch up. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, it changed right? that much, really. In yeah, one year. that's crazy. Yeah, you leave. You leave yeah. for a year. It seems like you're out of it, <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. crazy. You know, you know what's happening now? Just in the last week. Just yeah. in the last week, um, iHeartRadio announced that they're going to be making um, their own Spotify competitor. So they're going to be selling subscriptions to and move into that business. Amazon is moving into that business, wow. and Pandora is moving into that business. Oh my God! So now really? you have iTunes. Yeah, yeah. So in, in addition, because everybody sees that everyone wants to stream, so everyone right. wants to offer right. that service now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, the only streaming that I—I I mean, I had. I had Pandora, but then there were so many ads, and then, you know, you can buy the ad free. But, you know, um, 
I got the iTunes thing just because I have the iPhone and it was easy to subscribe through the iTunes store. The only thing I like about that is that you can play an entire album. You don't have to listen to, like, and you can make your own list like we were talking about. You know, yeah. your own playlist and you can, and, and you can like download that. it for offline. You can put yeah. it on your phone for offline listening so you can listen and to airplanes cloud, or whatever. Yeah. And on your yeah. cloud, and you can put it on all your different devices. So that was the only reason why I really loved iTunes music, even though I know a lot of um, the people that we've had on our show and common friends that we've all had, and I'm sure people that you know, that are musicians complaining about, you know, iTunes and, you know, and their music kind of getting raped or I, I don't know what you want to say over over commercialized or I, I don't know, taken However you want to put it. I, I don't really I know, know what you're talking about, actually. Terminology. Well, they say that, you know, they I, I don't really get a all. lot from the music. I've heard from people that have their music on iTunes, that they're not really getting a lot of money back from iTunes, that they're better to do it independently, self-publishing, stuff like that. Not putting it on iTunes. How are they? If they well, that makes no sense to me. I mean, how would they? Yeah, even, no, that's why I wanted to know. I, I don't see how they'd make any money if it doesn't. I mean, I, if iTunes is where you listen to music, you're talking yeah. about iTunes streaming service. So the iTunes streaming yeah. service is the second biggest one after Spotify, and the two yeah. of those probably are about eighty percent of all of all streaming, not including Pandora wow. because Pandora is really not on demand streaming. It's a different. It's more of a radio service. So, you know, it's a complicated thing, but consumers have so much choice for music. Don't you think it's great having a service like Spotify or iTunes Music where you can listen to yeah. all the music in the world? Yeah. I mean, Definitely. if there's any song yeah. you want to find or any album you want to listen to, it's there. Uh-huh. It could right. be a French record. It could be anything. Somebody could tip you off. Plus, your friends can send you a link, and then you can just listen to yeah. it. It's just right. so much... I yeah. mean, it's infinitely better than having, and it takes up no space on your bookshelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in New York City, that's, that's a big that's deal. That's what I've done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's the right. accessibility, Tom. I, I know what you thought, and we all know that it's the accessibility of music today is amazing. I mean, it's just a whole trip from the old days, I would call it, where, you know what I'm saying? It, it's just you can get it any second, you know? Yep. 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 Yes, so where do you see uh, yourself going now? What, what's going on in your life like, for uh, activity going on uh, coming yeah. up? A lot of stuff. I'm super busy this year. I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to reacquire my catalog with, uh, with from Warner Brothers as part of a, a deal that Merlin actually was able to negotiate uh, a few years ago, and ho- hopefully that can happen by the beginning of next year. Um, we're we're releasing a bunch of new albums. We have an album by uh, a group we call Brookzill, which is Prince Paul, the guy that produced the first three De La Soul albums, mm. along with Ladybug Mecca. Uh, and uh, a, f- a few other guys doing a record that's a hip, sort of a, a Brazilian, tribal Brazilian, wow, bro- meet, meets Brooklyn, uh, hip hop right. kind of record in Portuguese and English. It's really cool. Unbelievable! And so, Love that. And that's coming in a couple of weeks. It's called, great. It's called Brookville. Brookville. Okay. Brookville, like Brooklyn and, I've and got, yeah, Brazil. Brookville. That's right. interesting. Yeah, what do you cool. think of Bossa Nova? Bossa Nova's kind of cool too. That type love of music. It, we it. have an artist. Yeah, I have an artist here in 
where I live and she just does all this independent stuff and she she's on iTunes too and she also plays a lot of like uh she gets asked to play a lot of private things but um then also the big things too um and you know what I wanted to ask you for all the people that are listening today and all maybe parents that are listening if they have a child that wants to get in the music industry or any aspiring musicians out there what would what's what would you um what would you recommend and what would you suggest them? How would you mentor them and tell them um, what to do? How, how to, what would the steps be? Would you would tell someone that wants to get into music or has music and wants to be heard? Well, if, if I wanted to give somebody advice on how to be a great writer, I tell them to read a lot. So if I want somebody to be a great musician, I tell them to listen to a lot of music. Um, and, and then, you know, try to, uh, pick up a little musicality by learning how to either play music or or DJ or do something that helps you, gives you the tool to actually make music, uh, you know, as opposed to just listening to it. And, you know, and once they got to that level, I'd try to tell them to um, learn how to really write music so that they could uh, express themselves in a unique way and be different, you know, and try to uh, mm-hmm. make a, a, a new statement that other people aren't making, either musically or lyrically. Mm-hmm. Now you, I, Tom, you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? I'm not in the Hall of Fame, but I was on the board of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for almost a decade. You should be in it. You should be in, they should give you an achievement award. I, I, I got to say this. You've got... You deserve a music achievement award of what you've done in the music industry. I, I really mean that from my heart. You, you are the most, one of the most visionary. First of all, visionary people to break a label like you did. The New Music Seminar helps people all over the world. I don't have to get into that one. You, you're just like a phenomenal person. But I really mean that. I mean, you have you've been an amazing person. I'm so respect you so much, and I'm so honored to be with you in the business. You know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah. I so, where's the new music seminar? How does somebody? Uh, are you going to have an events coming up, or that's the other thing I want to ask? So, what we're doing now, what we're looking to, uh, into doing now, is doing um, monthly evening events that are three hours once a month. That um, some of them will be artist oriented, others will be industry oriented. Um, They'll be less expensive and less time-consuming, so people don't have to miss work. They can go for one day, and it's much more intensive because we'll do an hour and a half, um, you know, panel discussion. But we'll have like a time before it and a time after it. There'll be more schmoozing time, so there's more opportunities to meet more people, and we're able to be more selective and focus on one topic and then invite all the people we think should be in the room for that particular topic instead of having a circus like free-for-all, which is what we were doing in a three-day mm-hmm. event where people yeah. were all trying to figure out which More panel personal. should I go to. Yeah, yeah right. we had everybody in, separated into three different rooms plus exhibit areas and everything else. We want to create mm-hmm. something that's a little, yeah, a little more personal, a little more focused. Yep. Yeah. And and right. more effective and more accessible, so more people can participate. And then we want to start streaming it online, so people can actually go online and affordably uh, join into the conversation. I think what's going to happen you know, in the future is you'll be able to have your panels, and people can see mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean? Actual act, act, the actual panels happening. That's what I think is going to happen in the future, Tom. You, know what you I'm mean? Saying? Do you mean um like a 
remotely spent. Yeah, like, yeah, on, yeah. On to Holly, like you're there in Sonoma. And then you and could I'm like there. interact. Yeah, exactly. That's what I think. Yep, I we're see. working on that. That's the technology is almost there. Right now, yeah. that works but, for for one one camera, one place, but it doesn't yeah. work for multiple people. You can do as many as two, but we're watching that technology because we think probably Good. by next year you'll that should be possible. Yeah, I think you'll do it. I know you're going to do it. And like you said, it's better in person rather than just sending a little Facebook message or something right. like that. It's like right. really nice to actually be able to actually look in someone's eyes and really know and. Mm-hmm. You you know you meet someone and you work with them or they know and you might be able to pick something up from someone that they didn't even realize that they that they That's have right. and right. tell them you know like yeah. because right. I I could I could totally see that that's like really there and perfect mm-hmm. um, how do you choose this is interesting I want to know this how do you choose what um, companies or um, people to involve in your seminars? Are, are they just people that are cutting edge or people in the now or creating or what? Like how did Gibson um, come in and stuff like that? So I look at I look at what I consider the biggest issues in, in the mm-hmm. industry as they evolve or as they're getting ready to evolve, and I try and identify who are the best people who would speak out on, uh, on these issues and convince mm-hmm. them that they should come and and talk about it. Um, nice. Some of some of the times it's uh, you know so it's usually me curating it. And I even we we don't call them panels. We you know we call them movements, and we have mm-hmm. the moderators we call conductors, and the speakers we call players because we sort of see it as sort of a musical symphony of ideas. Um, and and so I sort of write the libretto or the you know um, I write the questions out for the. Uh, for the conductor so he knows what we're trying to achieve. So all of the uh, movements have a, sort of a cohesive focus and quality to them so that they tell a story, almost as if I was writing an article in a newspaper or a magazine about this issue. Who would be the, the, the people who are speaking are the people who I, I would interview, and they would mm-hmm. talk about some issue that's – so it's almost like attending a live interview about what's coming next and how the music business – will unfold. And our purpose was always to grow the business again. We focused on building a hundred billion dollar music business. I told you before the business worldwide is only fifteen billion. So we have a long way to go to a hundred billion. But when we can double and triple and quadruple the music business ten years from now, we think the the big problem here is that there's so many great artists that go undiscovered because they can't get access. They can't get exposure. Nobody will invest in them because you can't afford to invest in them because the win is too small right now. The the hits don't pay for the stiffs, as they say. So we're hoping that as the business gets up over $20 million again, which we're still a few years away from, um, we're going to see a big turn and we're going to see a lot more artists get signed and invested in and artists that have a record out don't get dropped after that first record. They could... Um, you know, stick around for a couple of hours and have more yeah. time to develop. Yeah, that's great. That's a good. That's a really good, good idea. Um, yeah, you're saying all good things, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know, now if somebody wants to reach you, Tom, um, or wants to get involved in a new music seminar, what? what let's give out some websites and some uh, point of information um, contacts. Yeah, the newmusicseminar.com. And you can okay. you know you can send emails to Tom at newmusicseminar.com. Mhm. Okay. 
And then um, when are we going to be um, seeing some of the other, are you going to do anything over the holidays for any of this stuff, any kind of special events for the holidays coming up? I think we're going to probably launch in January. Nice. Oh, wow. Great. Because yeah, there's so much up wow. in the air really right now. Uh, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've attended in, two, in the last two weeks I attended two more tech music conferences uh, in New York alone. And there's a lot of – I'm waiting for the dust to settle because what really – nobody needs another conference just for the sake of a conference if there's not a per- – the reason I started the seminar again in 2009 after a 15-year absence was because there was a real purpose. And that purpose has pretty mm-hmm. well been achieved because uh, – People now, you know, the industry understands that, that this is an ecosystem of value. And when they talk about the value gap on YouTube, it's because YouTube is paying one-seventh or one-eighth as much as what, what uh, you know, Spotify and iTunes are paying. And they want to close that gap so that, uh, you know, everybody's on the same playing field and we can grow the music business again. So everyone's starting to understand the concepts of the, the music attention economy and how we monetize attention in the new world. And uh, the majors actually are making the smartest decisions I've seen them make in the 35 years I've been in the business right now, which wow. is a, a really great thing. And that was the purpose of the seminar, to get people to see it in a new way. And they are seeing it that way finally, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. So well, I'm super optimistic. You know, when people leave the New Music Seminar, they always are, are jumping yeah. up and down and feeling so positive. Because most conferences, all they talk about is how this sucks and that sucks. But it's not really true. You know, uh, We're living in a golden age now, and I believe that the next 10 years, probably the next 10 to 15 years, are going to be a huge growth era and a time where new music and new music genres break through. It'll be yeah. very exciting. That's yeah. awesome. That's great. I I can't wait for that. Well, you know, I wanted to um, say thank you for being here today. And if um, what what else, Spence? Is there much anything more you would like to discuss? And Tom, uh, no, what else would you here. like to cover? Cause, uh, I think that I think last one pretty much got it all. I mean, was there is there anybody who called in or who? Uh, no, who no callers. But I'll tell you, their okay. chat room. Um, and I'm looking at the people that are listening live, so I want to make a really quick announcement again for any of you that missed the beginning of the show or would like to listen to this show again it's in, in its entirety. It will be available on iTunes under Red Velvet Media under the Indie Cafe, and also we are also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio, myself, Holly Steffi, and Spencer Drake, my co-host in New York, who, by the way, um, is also very involved in the music industry with um, creating album covers and album art and launching people and creating. And I know that you're working with a new band right now, I think, out of where, was it Mexico or Germany or We Spain? just finished an album, uh, a really great Nashville artist, uh, Brianna Kidwell, a vinyl album, and we're doing an album for a group called War Dogs that's traveling with Marky Ramon in Italy. Um, nice. Very incredible rock. Yeah, so we're, we're doing vinyl now, Tom. We're on vinyl, mm-hmm. you know. That's uh, right. Good. I know yeah. there's a lot of vinyl clubs that have launched too, and what's really cool is, uh, um, you know, like you said, Tom, the industry has has evolved so much. I mean, like the GoFundMe and the other pages, all the different things, and all the new co- pop-up companies that are inventing things, and then they're able to launch them on there to see whether or not 
I think it's kind of brilliant because you could actually see whether you're going to fail or there's going to be a demand. You could put your product right there and see how many people are interested in funding it. I know a vinyl company of the month, like you told me about, Spence, and then there was another one they started. And um, I know the perks were like if you joined, you got a, a vinyl record player and a vi- two new vinyl records um, a week, you know, and stuff like that. It was very cool. But um, I want to thank you so much for being here today. And, um, again, it's Friday, and uh, we're going into the weekend. So I wanted to remind everyone, please do not drink and drive. And today's the black moon. That's right. It's uh, We have yeah. a black moon tonight. Yeah. Yeah. What does that Which mean? Is, uh, well, every month we have two new moons. I mean, we usually have one new moon. And this month we're having two new moons which are like the new, the new moon after the full moon and all the other different, um, you know, sections of the moon. We have another new moon. We have a second one, which is unusual, so they ca- they call it the black moon. And it's supposed to be a really good creative day for a lot of different people. So, yeah. Well, I never heard of that. that. I knew like, that there was a hip-hop group called Black Moon, but I never heard about that. Uh-huh. Oh, wow, I love that. You know. I got to Google it. Today we got the black moon, baby. We got the black moon happening. So, uh, and and, and Holly, we got a creative. We have a super creative show today with Tom Silverman on. So that black moon is really working. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Tom, I'm so glad we finally were able to get you on the air. Yeah, and really, I apologize really. to all our listeners that um, were trying to tune in later or earlier, but um, we had to reschedule due to a scheduling conflict. But we're happy you're here, and um, I would love to have you back maybe um, when you launch your new product in January, um, if that would be cool, and we could talk about it. We do. Sure, let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, great. Now, um, being that I did not get your complete list of music that you wanted to open and close with, is it cool if we close with Planet Rock again? Whatever you got there. That's the only song I have. Yeah, oh, so okay. I'm going to end with that, and uh, I want to, again, thank you so much for being here, and if anybody would like to reach Tom, you can reach him again to the New Music Seminar page, and also, I believe it is also on Facebook, and you're on Twitter, um, I believe I saw you on Twitter, the mu- New Music I'm Seminar everywhere. is, yeah, yeah. and uh I want to make an announcement, Holly. I, I want to make an announcement yes, go ahead. for all the people out on in your West Coast. The uh, my album curves are being displayed at the Grammy Museum, and we're going to have mm-hmm. the curator on, you know, later down the line. Oh, yeah, the yeah, show, yeah. The, the show Ramones exhibit at the yeah in L.A. Yeah, the Ramones mm-hmm. exhibit, the and that's going on till February through February. So I want everybody to know on the West awesome. Coast about awesome. that's going on. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Yeah, I forgot. Got about that, but yeah, that's that's very huge. And um, for everyone listening today, I want to thank you all for being here. And again, if you missed it, you can listen to it later. And we will be back next week, and uh, we will um, be back on Friday, I believe. I may have a show on Wednesday, but I'm not sure yet. But um, we will definitely be back on Friday. And Tom, I'm really honored to have you here today because I when I saw and I talked to a couple of people when I told them I was having you on today. They were like, no way. I talked to Taddy P. Do you remember, do you know who Taddy is? Taddy P, he does reggae out of Montego Bay, but he travels quite a lot in Germany and um, 
Uh, he does a reggae, and uh, now he's getting into some Brazilian rock, which is interesting. So there you go, you know. Um, it's Good. Very Let's get him to play Prince Paul's album, Brazil. All right. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. That would <laughs> be cool. That's Brazilian. Let's give him a little flavor there. Yeah. Ooh, what's it called again? Prince Paul. Brooke, it's Prince Paul is the producer and one of the band members. It's called Brooke Zill. B R O O K Z as in zebra. I L L. Brooke Zill. Ooh. Okay. Listening like music for Brooklyn, the weekend. Brooklyn. If you're gonna mix Brooklyn and Brazil, that's what you get is Brooke. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, Ooh, I like that. Oh, nice. Well, that's our listening music for the week, for the weekend, there you right, Spence? Yep, so that's right. So enjoy autumn in New York because it's autumn right now. And uh, and I want to thank you again so much for being here. And, Spencer, thank you so much for being here and bringing Tom oh, to Oh, thanks a lot, Tom. Uh, keep me posted, Tom, on new music, okay? Keep me posted on new music. Center Absolutely. On. And okay, I'll check bro. in the black moon. All right. All right, guys. All right, yeah, dig the black moon tonight. Take okay, care. guys, enjoy your weekend. Don't Bye. drink and drive. Here you guys go. Party people. Party people, say yo get funky. So sign and phone, say yo get funky. Those who make it, say yo get funky. Yeah, just hit me.